This episode was originally recorded in November 2019. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for an update. Today, our guest is Dr. Ho Fang Hong, who will be speaking about the Hong Kong protests. Dr. Hong is a professor in political economy at the sociology department and sites of Johns Hopkins University. His interests include global political economy, protest, nation-state formation, social theory, and East Asian development. I want to briefly summarize the origins of the Hong Kong protests before we begin. The extradition bill was first introduced in April. It stated that criminal suspects can be extradited to mainland China. Protests began in June when hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets. After a few weeks, Carrie Lam, the chief executive, suspended the bill indefinitely. However, the protest hasn't stopped. Dr. Hong, what do you think of the timeline? Are we is this escalating, stagnating, or dwindling out? What is what is happening here? It was interesting question uh, because I got this question since uh, early June mm-hmm. uh, when the first big uh, demonstration happened. Uh, people keep asking. Uh, how long is it going to continue uh, this protest? And then people ask the question in July. People ask the question in August and all the way to November now that uh, every time I think that it is going to dwindle out but uh, in in the end it uh, it didn't and then it continued and then uh, as we speak today uh, Hong Kong politics is kind of uh, in a state of shock after the election uh, the district council election yeah. yesterday because the district council election is a like is a neighborhood level elections and that has low willpower so uh, uh, historically and all the time uh, the election is dominated by pro-establishment force uh, running on the, they are campaigning on issues like fixing this pipe and then uh, adding a bus stop and that kind of things that is very unpolitical mm-hmm. and so the establishment people are very good at uh, doing it and then uh, in the last few uh, district council election it is always the establishment politician to, to get most of the world and go get most of the seat but uh, yesterday um, that election become a referendum on the government and uh, the voter turnout is historic high of all direct election is 71%, more than 71%. And uh, it is very phenomenal. And basically the, the Democrats, uh, many of them are like 20 something, 30 something young newbies kind of politicians, um, um, sweep uh, a lot of seats. Uh, they uh, got rid of a lot of uh, very senior pro establishment figures with a lot of resources so uh, uh, the final vote count isn't out but uh, it's for sure that uh, the Democrats got the overwhelming majority of the seats uh, in the election so uh, it is a shock because people and I think including Beijing think that this election uh, is going to see a backlash of the conservative uh, voters uh, who are bothered by the disruption caused by the protests which actually often happen in other countries, after protests, uh, people got tired of the disruption caused by the protests. So when there's an election, so there will be a backlash. But at this time, 
this backlash didn't happen. And what we see is the voter anger at the establishment. So uh, it is uh, caught many people by surprise and it definitely will energize the protest movement. And then it is a very clear signal that the public opinion in Hong Kong is very much with the protests and very much angry with the government. Uh, so the protest movement might morph in, in its form, in its tactics, but that definitely is not going to be over soon. I want to move back in our timeline mm -hmm. and start with our grievances. Sure. Um, of course, there are many, um, there are the demands and what are the mm -hmm. sort of grievances that the Hong Kong protesters are talking about? And of mm -hmm. course, there are very, they're very real and very yeah. um, mm -hmm. despairing material conditions. We've all mm -hmm. seen the pictures of the cage homes and they're yes. both very unsafe and un yes. unaffordable. Yeah. Why and how has mm. this gone in this bad? I mean, mm -hmm. what is driving these prices and this mm -hmm. speculation? Mm -hmm. And there's also been this phrase property hegemony mm -hmm. that's been thrown yes. around in Hong Kong discourse yep. Yep. Um, in critique of the housing prices. Yes. Can you explain to me what's going on there? Yeah, definitely. That uh, the inequality and uh, housing crisis in Hong Kong that has been worsening in the last 10, 20 years definitely is a necessary condition for the protest, but mm -hmm. they are not the sufficient condition for the protest mm -hmm. because this problem has been around uh, since before the sovereignty handover. Mm -hmm. that, uh, because Hong Kong government has been relying on the property tax a lot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in its revenue. Mm -hmm. at, uh, it uh, brag about being at the low tax place. Uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, so business tax and income tax is relatively uh, quite low in Hong Kong. So mm -hmm. the government rely on property tax. So mm -hmm. the, the land sales and the limited sales of uh, land for housing development has been a kind of a trick for the government to increase its revenue. Yeah. So the result is um, uh, rising uh, property price mm -hmm. and it uh, it become more so uh, after 2001-2002 when after China joined WTO and a lot of uh, Chinese money want to move out of China so they uh, the first stop is in Hong Kong so this uh, inflow of uh, Chinese money mm -hmm. also push off the property price mm -hmm. and uh, so this uh, rising property price has a lot of significant uh, impact on people's livelihood. First mm -hmm. is, of course, it's very difficult for people to to own or even rent uh, a place. And if you want to do small business, uh, usually the rent eat up all your profits. So even uh, small business uh, people are struggling. Yeah. And, uh, um, and uh, but in the colonial times under the British, that uh, the, the Hong Kong government has an extensive public housing program and it also has a kind of a free education um, from the primary to middle school to high school kind of program. Uh, so this kind of a high uh, housing price have been buffered by this uh, mm -hmm. relatively, um, I can't say progressive, but at least kind of a social safety led and public housing and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, after 1997, um, that this uh, public housing um, project uh, has slowed down and also there is even kind of a privatization mm -hmm. going on with these public housings mm -hmm. uh, and also there's a privatization of a uh, uh, lot higher education but uh, the primary and middle school and high school that uh, some better school become private schools and charging um, 
uh, very expensive uh, tuition. So there's a lot of good school are still free, uh, but it created two stratas of the education system. Mm. So this actually aggravate. Mm-hmm. Um, after the, the 1997 uh, handover, mm-hmm. and uh, also the um, Chinese uh, uh, state capital is also moving in to, uh, to Hong Kong to, mm-hmm. uh, very aggressively. So it is all add up and aggravate the situation of the inequality and the housing. Uh, crisis and this kind of thing can goes on uh, with the remedy and people's perception is that because uh, Hong Kong is not a democracy um, that uh, the chief executive is elected by a very small number of um, uh, political insiders and tycoons mm-hmm. uh, so they keep electing the chief executive that is favored towards the property developer and Chinese state capital um, so uh, people point to the political system as a root cause of this kind of increasing inequality and housing mm-hmm. crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. So it is why people uh, uh, originally they have an expectation that uh, Hong Kong will finally have universal suffrage, uh, electing its um, chief executive and um, all of the legislative council seat because it was it, uh, promised in the Sino-British Joint Declaration and the Basic Law. Mm-hmm. But uh, in 2014, um, the Chinese government uh, uh, set up very strict restriction on uh, the future election of chief executive, um, and and that triggered the umbrella the revolution or umbrella movement mm-hmm. in two thousand fourteen. Uh, that movement um, dissipated and ended uh, without getting any uh, of its demand met, mm-hmm. uh, and. And then there was a backlash uh, from the establishment, from the Chinese government uh, to disqualify uh, uh, candidates uh, who used to be participants in the umbrella movement. Uh, so they are barred from participating in the elections, mm-hmm. local elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, there was a um, um, crackdown on academia, crackdown yeah. on the activists and, and yeah. some of the moderate uh, scholars who led the umbrella movement that behind bar. Yeah. So it is all these grievances built up from political to socioeconomic and mm-hmm. then it finally led to uh, the current crisis mm-hmm. in 2019. Well, you mentioned um, a lot of interesting things yeah. there. A lot of people are pointing to the political system mm. um, and rightfully so because the political system mm. has been considering housing as more of a property tax generator mm-hmm. as opposed to yeah. uh, a social yes. a public good yes um but you know i can't help think about singapore which is yes. such a comparable yes. easily comparable yes. situation yes. also former yes. british colony yes. but its housing yes. conditions are very different yes um yes. and uh, people have made the argument or mm. have wondered mm-hmm. or i can't help but wonder yeah. yes. if the hong kong government does it have the capacity to yeah. to fix things yes that is interesting uh, uh question people like to compare hong kong and singapore and mm-hmm. then like beijing want to point to singapore and say look at uh, you don't have democracy you mm-hmm. have an authoritarian government but uh, a lot of problem that hong kong has is solved in singapore the right. authoritarian government but mm-hmm. why so that uh, one people, one thing that people don't uh, pay enough attention to is Singapore. Even though it doesn't have democracy, but it has uh, sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It is an independent country, and the government is basically uh, free to do things uh, for its own citizens, mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't need to. 
prioritize the interests of uh, any foreign government or foreign capital. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, even though Singapore is a authoritarian government, but it has a facade of uh, election, so mm -hmm. they still need to worry about even if they are elected, if it is the the voter turnout or or the vote is not as uh, satisfactory as uh, they hope, then they will have a legitimacy problem. So mm -hmm. because it is a sovereign country, it is a local government, national um, uh, government that mm -hmm. need to care about the legitimacy. So mm -hmm. even though it is authoritarian, so it still need to cater for the lead uh, of the people. So yeah. Singapore has a extensive public housing project mm -hmm. uh, and program that uh, shield the people from um, the high property price uh, generated by the influx of capital. While in Hong Kong, that the government, as uh, Carrie Lam, the, the current chief executive, and 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 said in a kind of a leak audio mm -hmm. uh, recently, saying she explicitly said that uh, it is a difficult job because you are serving two master. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and, and it is amazing that the chief executive of Hong Kong said explicitly, though the mm -hmm. off, off guard, that uh, she probably didn't know that it is taped. It. Uh, so she lead to peace Beijing and mm -hmm. also the all this vested interest in state company and um, and private property owners from mainland China and Hong Kong people so mm -hmm. the, in the end it is the Beijing that has more say in determining who is going to be the chief executive so mm -hmm. in the end so that uh, any chief executive any government in Hong Kong cannot put the livelihood and the welfare of the Hong Kong people uh, to too much uh, have giving it too much weight right right yeah. right um yeah i i i mean i think chinese money is of mm. course a very large force behind yes. hong kong politics yes but um a lot of academics will yeah. also think about i mean there I, I think there's a lot of you know in yeah. a lot of ways hong mm -hmm. kong is not a sovereign country yes. yeah. or, or city i mean yeah. Um, some academics describe Hong Kong as a political refuge yeah. for economic elites. Yes. So there are the yes. pro-China business elites, yes. and then there yes. are the you know anti-China business yes. elites. Yes. For example, yes. Jimmy Lai. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what is going on here? Yes. Is there are these two different sides of the mm. same coin, or yeah. are, is there an actual separation going yes. on here? Because yes. there seems to be just yeah. in general a lot of foreign yeah. money, foreign yeah. investment in yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah, definitely, Jimmy Lai is one tycoon that is known for being anti-Chinese government mm -hmm. and pro-democracy, but he is the minority of the minority. And mm -hmm. then uh, his only business is the media, mm -hmm. and then even that is. Uh, running the trouble in terms of revenues and mm -hmm. profitability so there's constant rumor about he cannot uh, hold up and has to sell it uh, mm -hmm. uh, so so he is uh, very exceptional mm -hmm. uh, besides uh, this kind of uh, uh, besides Jimmy Lai and, and most tycoon I would say if not all tycoon in Hong Kong are pro Chinese government mm -hmm. but they have a division among themselves one is the local Hong Kong tycoons like mm -hmm. Lika Singh and mm -hmm. Um, um, James Chin and James Tian mm -hmm. and, and all these kind of old Hong Kong families. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, another group is the the Liu Rich uh, from uh, from China uh, who get a Hong Kong residencies and 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 one example of course is Jack Ma who mm -hmm. own Alibaba. Mm -hmm. 
Um, uh, the Alibaba is going to do an IPO, the initial public offering in the Hong Kong stock market these mm-hmm. two days, and, and he owned the the biggest uh, English media mm-hmm. in Hong Kong, that is South China Morning Post. So this is a lot of this uh, Chinese tycoon mm-hmm. uh, now the, um, the becoming a residents in Hong Kong as well. So they are all. Uh, supporting the Chinese government in 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 different ways, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, in the current crisis, we see this kind of um, interesting phenomenon that uh, because the current crisis is triggered by the extradition build, mm-hmm. and then you see many Hong Kong local tycoons uh, explicitly uh, come out uh, to say things against it in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and even some. Uh, mainland Chinese tycoons, uh, even though they don't say anything openly uh, against the extradition bill, but mm-hmm. uh, many people will uh, see signs that they are actually uh, against it. For mm-hmm. example, there's a Financial Times reports uh, that in in May this year, there's this Chinese tycoon in Hong Kong having a dinner with Carrie Lam, the chief executive, and, and lobbying her a lot to do the extradition bill. Mm. So. Uh, you are right that uh, Hong Kong is a refuge for mm-hmm. these different ty- kind of tycoon because Chinese uh, economy is a capitalist system, but mm-hmm. uh, people don't feel safe about their wealth. Right, right, right. It can be confiscated by the government. Their personal safety is not uh, very much secured. They mm-hmm. can disappear if they are at odds with the government. Um, and when they are in a lawsuit with the government or with other powerful people, that uh, there's no kind of a guarantee the court will rule fairly. So many of the wealthy people in China want to move their wealth and mm. themselves in mm-hmm. terms of residencies to, to Hong Kong. They feel Hong Kong is a safer place, and 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 it exact it is exactly the thing that aggravates the inequality in Hong Kong and also the the valuation of the of the Hong Kong property price because in the past it is the Hong Kong local tycoon that drive up uh, investor that drive up the property price mm-hmm. um, so it's bad enough but now there is a Chinese economy of uh, 1.3 billion people and a huge economy a second biggest economy and many of the wealthy people the wealthiest people want to get a foothold in the Hong Kong property market mm. you can imagine the, the effect the impact yeah. on the property price in Hong Kong will be much bigger than mm-hmm. in in the previous because the whole Chinese economy is so huge, many of the wealthy elite want to go to Hong Kong to buy right, property. Right. So it is why the property price is that much a problem uh, after this takeoff of Chinese economy. Where does where do these? Well, yeah, the the chi- the takeoff of Chinese economy, mm-hmm. and you know, I can't help but think of Deng Xiaoping liberalization. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, and the handover. Where yes. does where does where does this network of tycoons come yes. from, and the business elite? And can we draw sort of mm-hmm. historical connection, or or mm-hmm. I guess their um, their financial clout yeah. has mm-hmm. has ties, historical yeah. ties. Yes, yes. In Hong, the the Hong Kong local tycoon is a different story. They mm-hmm. are. They are old families, some of them from Shanghai, some of them from Guangdong. After 49, they, they, they go to Hong Kong and establish themselves there. But they are second-tier pair in the colonial times because mm. most properties are owned by British merchant house, like mm. the Jardins and all that. But when the sovereignty hangover of Hong Kong is settled in the 1980s, that many British um, the 
uh, owner of properties start to sell their properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many of these uh, local Chinese tycoon in Hong Kong take over. It is how Li Ka-sing become the richest man um, in Hong Kong and in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is the Hong Kong local tycoon. But the Chinese, Chinese tycoon is, uh, as uh, uh, the, they are mostly the Liu rich um, that uh, became um, very wealthy because some of them because of their political connections, mm-hmm. some of them are self-made men, mm-hmm. uh, starting to accumulate the wealth in 1980s and 1990s. And again, that uh, the classic example is Jack Ma, who is kind of a mm-hmm. uh, poor, mm-hmm. uh, like IT student or something yeah. that who, who, who start like, his own small company and later become uh, very successful. So it's all this uh, private company. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of uh, Chinese wealthy people are in the state sectors. Uh, mm. So they have uh, the political privilege, political con- uh, political influence. And many of them are what they call the, the princelings. That mm-hmm. is, they are the children mm-hmm. of uh, senior Chinese communist leaders. Mm-hmm. And then uh, mm. through their political connection, that they co- take control of this uh, Chinese state-owned company. Mm. And uh, using this uh, state-owned company as a cash cow for their personal wealth, and then they gain a lot of uh, wealth. and then. So it might be regarded as uh, illegitimate wealth, and so it is a very large incentive for them to move the wealth to Hong Kong off mm-hmm. um, the the, um, um, the monitoring and 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 judicial system of the Chinese uh, government. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are the the the, the origins of these uh, mm. uh, wealthy people now is dominating the Hong Kong economy. I want to talk about another internal division. Mm. Um, that academics have been talking about. There are two mm-hmm. camps within mm-hmm. the Hong Kong Democrats, mm-hmm. and of course, I want to bring up the yes. the election, the local elections yes. that happened yes. yesterday. Yes. There are the old guard mm-hmm. Democrats yeah. who proceed from the one yes. country, two systems, um, mm-hmm. and system, and want mm-hmm. constitutional revisions. Yes. And then there are the younger, the young yeah. localists, yes. right, who are identity based and yes. frequently apply universal yes. Yes. liberal notions of self de- yeah. self determination. Yes. Um, how can we understand mm-hmm. the rise of Hong Kong localism yes. and what kind of veins of Hong Kong yeah. localism did we witness mm-hmm. yesterday yeah. um, mm-hmm. from the results of the local yeah. election? Is this racism against mm-hmm. mainlanders yeah. and mm-hmm. or is it self determination? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what yeah. is, can you speak about yeah, that? Yeah, it is a very complicated issues that mm-hmm. the Hong Kong democratic movement since its inception in the 1980s has been dominated by what we now know as the old guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That uh, uh, is interesting because in the early 1980s, when the public opinion in Hong Kong is against sovereignty handover, yeah. uh, it is the democratic movement people uh, support the sovereignty handover. Mm-hmm. They uh, see the one country, two system and uh, autonomy that Deng Xiaoping promised to Hong Kong is a chance for Hong Kong to democratize from a closed colonial system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these uh, Democrats who were activists in the 1980s were mm-hmm. actually, first of all, they are Chinese nationalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, uh, they very much support this kind of a sovereignty mm-hmm. returning to China project mm-hmm. and, and also uh, excited and look forward to the autonomy and one country, two system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after 1997, they are a critic of the Chinese government. So they are supporter of the 1989 uh, student movement in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they want to do is to uh, uh, make sure that the one country, two system 
uh, work as it is promised. Right. Uh, so right. it is the old guards, and then they have low issue with uh, closer socioeconomic integration between mm. Hong Kong and China. They mm-hmm. never support Hong Kong self determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think that uh, Hong Kong status uh, is a settled issues. Um, but um, in uh, ten years ago, the, the, the uh, culminating into the 2014 umbrella mm-hmm. and now in the anti-extradition um, movement we see the rise of the younger generation that yeah. is a uh, lot too happy with the old gods and, mm-hmm. and they think that uh, uh, Hong Kong deserves a self-determination regarding its future status and that is a complicated issue because it involves the issues of 2047 mm-hmm. uh, because when Deng Xiaoping and 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 the U.S. Gov- the U.K. government and the Chinese government signed a signed out, uh, the British Joint Declaration, uh, the one country two system is meant to continue for only fifty years mm-hmm. after nineteen ninety seven. Mm-hmm. So it's going to expire in twenty forty seven. And what happened to Hong Kong after twenty forty seven? Uh, nobody know. Right. Uh, there's no agreement. So the, the younger people, for the old guard, they don't care because uh, by twenty. 47 they might be no longer around mm-hmm. they might already retired so it doesn't matter to them but for mm-hmm. the young people um, like Josiah Wong and all these kind of young leaders in 2047 they will be in their 40s or 50s mm-hmm. and, and they mm. the prime time of their age so it's yeah. something that they really need to to be care about yeah, yeah, yeah. so it is how this self-determination uh, uh, slogan come about that mm-hmm. they want to uh, determine the fate of Hong Kong after 2047 for a kind of a self-determination, mm-hmm. uh, a referendum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also they want Hong Kong to have universal suffrage before 2047. So mm-hmm. the, the, the prospect of 2047 becoming Hong Kong just like another Chinese city mm-hmm. and absorbing the Chinese authoritarian rule, the chance will be smaller if Hong Kong will already have right. uh, so, so universal suffrage before that. Uh, so it is the, why these young people have this self-determination or even some more radical one will advocate independence of mm-hmm. the 2047. Uh, so it is why there is this difference. So at the same time, the Hong Kong, because of the influx of uh, Chinese capital yeah. um, and, and Chinese state-owned enterprise, and inevitably it also um, uh, tied up with the influx of Chinese uh, elite, mm-hmm. uh, professional elite and wealthy elite. And also it has been a Chinese government policy that in some of the think tank papers, they uh, explicitly talk about it, uh, they call it the blood transfusion. That is uh, mm. to replace the Hong Kong locals in many, explicit. quite explicit, yeah. uh, in strategic factor, sectors. And, and now finance is already totally done that yeah. um, the financial sector is uh, dominated by the uh, mainland Chinese elite uh, so it is a situation like uh, Xinjiang and Tibet that mm. uh, they find that the local population is very difficult to control so they uh, by uh, changing the population makeup uh, yeah. to to put into more uh, in the case of uh, Xinjiang and Tibet to put in Han Chinese to dominate the economy mm-hmm. instead of the locals uh, so that uh, the China can get a, a, a better hold and better grip of the, of the local society. So yeah. it created po- conflict. Some this, sometimes this conflict become ethnic driven mm-hmm. uh, and you may say even uh, racist, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, there's only a part of the movement uh, it's like that, but more of them are focusing on the socioeconomic inequality. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's a lot of uh, uh, attempt on the part of the Chinese uh, or Hong Kong 
uh, activists to try to reach out to these uh, uh, mainland elite uh, to to try to lure them over to support their cause. So it is a very complicated situation, but definitely the, the immigration policy and also the replacement of locals by the yeah. Chinese elite is uh, creating a lot of tension in the university campuses, in the financial sectors, and in many other sectors of the, of the economy. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think you bring up a lot of very scary points. Yes. Um, you, th- you know, you you mentioned pop the Chinese control over population makeup, which mm-hmm. is actually a very violent process, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Especially in in Xinjiang, yeah. and yeah. Um, that is literally changing the yes. bodies and the the population. Um, yeah. And we we talk, you know, we. We spoke a lot about mm-hmm. financial and political anxieties, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think you make a good point that this is a long-term game that mm-hmm. Hong Kong protesters are playing. Protesters yes. are playing. Yeah. Um, but there is also the everyday yes. experience of yes. violence. Um, yes. yes. And yeah, immediate threat to the population makeup yeah. through immigration yeah. policy, through yeah. technology, through yeah. surveillance. Yes. Um, yes. And especially policing. Yes. So I want to talk more about. Yeah that um mm-hmm. also the we've yeah. all seen the very mm-hmm. horrific pictures along with the housing but yes. as well as just the kind of brutal policing yeah. that's yeah. been happening yeah. to students and protesters mm-hmm. um so recent acts of violent policing are portrayed especially by mm-hmm. liberals as a yeah. betrayal mm-hmm. of reforms addressing corruption in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s mm-hmm. yeah. and blamed on increased training of the hk mm-hmm. police Yes. By the PRC. Yeah. However, the Hong Kong government has also turned to several colonial police powers yes. yeah. um, to rein in prote- protesters, mm-hmm. such as the mask ban. Yeah. How does the colonial history of anti-democratic yes. policing, yes. Um, particularly British policing, yeah. contribute to how the Hong Kong police are responding to the protests? Yes. Yes, definitely. And how much is a result of practices learned yeah. since the umbrella movement? Yes, yes, that is very important issues because the police brutality has been one key concern of the general uh, population in Hong Kong mm-hmm. that drive the movement forward uh, because they're really angry about the uh, police tactics they use against protesters. And mm-hmm. there's a general sense that uh, the Hong Kong police force is uh, reversing itself and going back to the darkest state of colonial times. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in the 50s and 60s, the colonial police uh, force uh, is very brutal and very corrupt, and they have collaborated with gangsters. Actually, there's a yeah. re- there's a revolving yeah, door yeah, yeah. between the, the the mafia organization mm-hmm. and the police. They are the same group of people. They have they extort money from street vendors and all kind of stuff, and then they 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 use all kind of torture mm-hmm. uh, without trial of uh, arrested people. So it was the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what the British did in uh, starting in the seventies, because in the nineteen sixty six there's a spontaneous young people um, riots uh, in Hong Kong over uh, kind of a increase in um, uh, ferry fares. Uh, and but in 1967 there was a communist insurgency that mm-hmm. is organized uh, mm-hmm. by the communist party in Hong Kong mm-hmm. uh, as a spillover of the cultural revolution so mm-hmm. after this unrest in 66 and 67 the Hong Kong government that uh, did a lot of serious reform about its police force mm. uh, clean up its police force in the mm-hmm. 70s they established a well-renowned independent um, 
commission of uh, against corruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they 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 investigate in the police officers that are, that are corrupt, uh, and 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 they clean up the police force, and they do a lot of uh, thing to make sure that the police force has a good relation to the, the general population mm-hmm. and, and and all kind of. Um, uh, practice of, of uh, police uh, torturing and brutality and mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of guidelines for police officers and a lot of PR projects. So mm-hmm. after 1970s, Hong Kong police force is, is seen, uh, perceived to be, and actually it is a reality that is a very professional mm. and clean uh, force of governance. It, mm-hmm. it has a lot of legitimacy among the Hong Kong people and, and uh, people who enter the police force uh, after graduation is seen as a privilege, as a kind of an indication of a, Merits and 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 good deeds rule and and uh, rule yeah. of law and then yeah. so so it is a very credible and very trusted mm-hmm. police force and what we see in this protest what amazed people and then get people uh, angry is that the police seems to be going back to the fifties and sixties mode first mm-hmm. that they they tortured uh, uh, arrested uh, people or people who protested already subdued. Uh, uh, there's caught on camera, caught yeah. on, uh, is seen by the whole world. So it is this kind of uh, the brutality on the scene of arrest. And mm-hmm. then there's allegation of um, torturing uh, after they are in the deten- uh, put in the detention center, mm-hmm. and sexual uh, attacks, and, mm-hmm. and all this kind of violence. Uh, so it is um, the kind of because the, the the arrest people is even not yet put to the judicial process and the legal process. So the police just torture them before during detention and mm-hmm. so uh, it uh, concerned people and then so they are and also they are using rubber bullets and um, tear gas which is against uh, the guidelines for example they are not shooting in 45 degree they are shooting the tear gas into people's face and it, again it's very yeah. much well documented yeah. and uh, and also um, uh, uh, the collaboration between the police and the gangster organization, because in, in July 21st, there's an incident in which some gangsters um, in the rural area uh, stormed a kind of a metro uh, station to uh, beat up protesters and other law protesting uh, passengers indiscriminately mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the station. And, it, uh, 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 and police didn't come to the scene, even though people uh, reported to the police and later on that uh, tri- uh, Hong Kong government run um, uh, news uh, at, uh, a TV station that's a, a radio and television Hong Kong they have a uh, uh, huge reports about the incidents and seeing that uh, have uh, footage about like actually the police is collaborating with the gangster that night yeah. um, to let the gangster beat up the protester and then police uh, deliberate a lot to be deployed mm. to help them. So it is this kind of a conception that police brutality and police collaboration with the gangsters right. uh, is back, like right. back in the 50s and 60s, the darkest day of the colonial era. But with new toys. With new toys, <laughs> with new, new, new gears, and now it's for, uh, in the old days they have tear gas, but they only have the uh, have the bat and, and, and all these kind of uh, the old things. and But now they have rubber bullets and all kind of uh, water right. cannon cars and all this kind of stuff. I mean, they, they don't mm-hmm. look like, as long as the protests mm-hmm. keep happening, which yeah. are going to yeah. happen, yes. right? Yes. Um, it, you know, it doesn't seem like the police brutality will be going away yeah. either. It's not going to be going away. They just replaced the police chief uh, to in, install uh, even uh, more hotline figures to be the police chief. Just hmm. happened like the last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seems that it sends a signal that the police hotline is going to continue. 
mm. to crack down on the on the protesters. And I mean, actually, not only protesters but also journalists and I medics are being uh, attacked by the police. I mean, as as you've said, these these violent incidents yeah. are well documented, yeah. and with you mm. know. Online, yes. f- um, yeah. you know, social media, yes. everyone yes. gets to yes. see them, yes. not just Hong Kong yes. Um, yes. protesters, but the whole world. Yes. Yes. Um, and we've also, what's been um, striking is the Hong Kong protesters' mm-hmm. tactics against yes. the police. Yes. Yes. And some talk about police abolition, yeah. Um, yeah. which is a very radical yes. take, yes. right? Yes. Yes. You know, how have what does this mean for the tactics that mm-hmm. we are going we're, we can expect yes. from them yes. and the absorption yes. of technology yes. not for yes. not just for yes. policing but yes. for protesting yeah the the protest um, movement this time i think it is going to be the subject of uh, academic studies in the years to come yeah. because uh, it's very well known that it's leaderless mm-hmm. it's organized it's leaderless but it's not disorganized it's very organized yes. through social media and mm-hmm. democratic deliberation about they have a referendum system online to see whether we go to this place to protest or that place to protest over the weekend. So mm-hmm. they have a elaborate online de- deliberative systems and also they have a self-correcting mechanism. For example, in the summer, they 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 uh, they block the tax revenue office and at some point they, they block the airport and it create a lot of public anger and yeah. then they, they stop doing it after they know the public opinion is against it. And organizing this apologizing tour to the spot to <laughs> apologize to the citizens yeah. and so they have been very receptive to public opinion. They yeah. have been deliberating and they are very uh, organized but leaderless. And right. it is a very important uh, part of it because uh, in the past when you have a uh, uh, so-called main stage that uh, issue the command and 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 about what to do, that it is always create a lot of uh, internal division and who mm-hmm. is controlling the commanding height of the movement. So there's a lot of infighting among right. the activists. And yeah. at the same time, it is very easy for the government to infiltrate and then to mm. spread false information to uh, influence the decision of uh, the leaders. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So this leaderless is, is very organic, it's very difficult. It's why the Chinese government and the Hong Kong government find it so difficult to contain it because they cannot get a hold of who is in charge. Yeah, I think the reception or its receptive nature mm-hmm. to public opinion has yeah. been one of its keys to yes. it lasting so long. Yes, and, um, definitely. Uh, yeah. You know, getting this local yes. election, the democratic yes. victory done. Yes. yes. So I want to move more yeah. west. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of international yes. Uh, yeah. opinions yeah. about the Hong Kong protests. Yeah. Of course, Joshua Wong has yeah. been explicitly yeah. referring to Hong Kong as the next West Berlin. Yeah. There's been a yeah. lot of, you know, yes. is this the next Cold War? Yes. Um, and he's been, you know, trying to internationalize this issue yeah. of Hong Kong protests. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I want to talk first about something mm-hmm. more specific, mm-hmm. the yeah. Hong Kong Human Rights Democracy yes. Yes. and Democracy yeah. Act. Yes. Um, and some of it's just notable yeah. points. Yeah. So it is led by Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. Mm-hmm. It's got bipartisan support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is makes very explicit references yeah. to trade. And finally, it's mm-hmm. subtle, not so yeah. subtle reference to Snowden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the bill meant to accomplish? Can mm-hmm. you speak more about what this yes. bill is actually about? 
Yeah, the bill is actually an update of an existing U.S. law, which is the 1992 U.S. Hong Kong Policy Act. Uh, according to this uh, old law, that uh, U.S. government, after Hong Kong sovereignty handover to China, uh, U.S. government will verify whether Hong Kong is sufficiently autonomous from China to uh, uh, to continue to maintain its status as a separate custom territory from mm-hmm. mainland China, uh, mm-hmm. because U.S in terms of capital control, trading relation, treaty and uh, immigration control, they separate Hong Kong from mainland China. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this arrangement uh, is very useful for, for, for China, mm-hmm. uh, for Chinese company who go mm. to Hong Kong to assume a Hong Kong identity, then mm-hmm. uh, they can invest freely in many Western country as a Hong Kong company. Mm-hmm. If it is a Chinese company or a Chinese state-owned company that is face a lot of restriction mm-hmm. and uh, many people who get a Hong Kong residency, a Hong Kong passport, they can freely migrate and travel to other countries uh, as, as opposed to as opposed to uh, people who have a Chinese passport. So this has been very useful for China. Mm. And this law has been putting a restraint on Beijing crackdown on Hong Kong so far. Mm. Uh, because uh, when Beijing, for example, think about sending in the PLA or interfere in the Hong Kong election more, that it will lead to have a consideration that uh, US that is the leaders and then other countries might uh, no longer treat Hong Kong separately from mainland China. Mm. Then China will will, will lose its uh, advantage mm-hmm. and convenience of Hong Kong being treated separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has been deterrent mm-hmm. uh, in terms of China control of Hong Kong. And mm-hmm. this uh, Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act is um, is uh, upgrading or tightening of, of this uh, US um, uh, Hong Kong Policy Act. On the one thing, on the one hand, that uh, this uh, Hong Kong Human Rights Democracy Act will uh, explicitly require the State Department of the U.S. to verify Hong Kong autonomy from mainland China annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the requirement of verification of Hong Kong autonomy is stricter. But what? But what yeah. is? Can you be more explicit about what yeah. Hong Kong autonomy means when they're? They know? have been ambiguous, mm-hmm. uh, creating a lot of leeway for the U.S. government to interpret. But they will usually pinpoint. Uh, particular incidents to see whether it's threatening the autonomy or not. Well, for example, the allegation that uh, the Chinese government is interfering with local election or the kidnapping, cross-border kidnapping of bookseller mm-hmm. to mainland China. So they, they cite these um, incidents. Uh, mm-hmm. The the, the um, problem of the old uh, U.S.-Hong Kong Policy Act is that uh, the U.S. government regarding Hong Kong has only a choice of zero and one. Either U.S. government think that Hong Kong is sufficiently autonomous and maintain the status quo of separating Hong Kong from mainland China, or they right. totally right. revoke this recognition. So it is a very difficult uh, decision to make. Mm-hmm. That it uh, uh, is very difficult for U.S. government to to revoke the recognition. Mm. It's a huge. Um, repercussion if they really do it. Uh, so the Hong Kong Human Rights and uh, um, um, uh, Democracy Act is the, to uh, give a lot of other options between zero and one. So okay. short of revoking recognition of Hong Kong autonomy and uh, special trading status, the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act allow or enable, empower the U.S. government to target uh, particular Chinese or Hong Kong officials that are in violation of Hong Kong human rights. For example, if they find that this police officer is responsible for uh, police brutality and harassing and torturing the Hong Kong protesters, so theoretically, the Hong Kong government, according to this 
uh, act can uh, sanction, uh, impose sanction on that particular police officer to freeze the access if they have any uh, access in the U.S. or uh, the stop any banks from doing business uh, with them. So it is this kind of a uh, new tools that uh, the U.S. government can uh, can be empowered to have uh, mm. regarding human rights violation in Hong Kong. And there's a, some other minor stuff that is important. For example, if you are arrested and charged by Hong Kong law and you have a criminal record mm-hmm. uh, when you apply for US visa to study and things and, and, and it, it, is a, it is a kind of a death sentence. And then Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act um, uh, 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 add an exception saying okay. that if you are charged and find criminal mm-hmm. because you participate in protests mm-hmm. uh, for political reason, then mm-hmm. you'll be exempt from this uh, visa restriction. You mm-hmm. can still get a visa to the U.S. to study and things. So mm-hmm. so there's this kind of um, different details that actually many uh, people in Hong Kong think that it is uh, kind of a lot big help, but a small help to the protesters. Mm-hmm in general terms, what kind of world system mm-hmm. the Hong mm-hmm. Kong protests are happening in. I know mm-hmm. you know you've I know you've been speaking mm-hmm. a lot about the US China trade war yes, yes, um yes. in your yeah. in your yeah. time outside of this yeah. podcast. Yes. And you've written about hegemonic crisis, yeah. which yes. I think is an interesting yeah. phrase yeah. here and very yeah. relevant to shaping yeah. the um the Hong Kong protests. Yeah. Um and of course, the big irony to this yeah. Cold War debate yes. is it treats yes. U.S. China as separate units when there's yes. a lot of financial yes. entanglement yeah. between yeah. them. What are what are the implications of that yeah. for yeah. U.S. and China and Hong yes. Kong? Um, and how, or I guess first of all, how does U.S. and China financial mm. uh, dependence impact the rest yeah. of the world? Yeah. That is a very important context for the protests. Mm-hmm. That uh, mm-hmm. um, from the nineteen eighties to the nineteen nineties, all the way to two thousands, that the whole global economy was driven largely by the increasing integration of the U.S. and China economy. So much so that, like Leo Ferguson called it Chi America, or some people call it G two, mm-hmm. like ten years ago. And U.S. and China is really on a very harmonious relation economically yeah. and geopolitically. Uh, so uh, in regarding in regard to the Hong Kong question, that uh, U.S. is often on the side of the Chinese government. That, for example, turn a blind eye to any interference of Beijing in the Hong Kong after yeah. 1997 or human rights violation. That they just turn a blind eye to it. Yeah. And in 2014, even that when the Umbrella Movement erupted, that a lot of U.S. officials and and retired officials and think tank people they. Um, they they are not exactly, but mostly on the side of Beijing to want to call for the protester to to leave the occupation, to end the movement, and accept the limited democracy that uh, China uh, could tolerate and things like that. So the situation is that the U.S. is on the side of China mm-hmm. in those times because of uh, uh, the. Uh, geopolitical and global economic reality of U.S.-China economic integration, but ever since two thousand. 10 and 2011, so the the U.S.-China is more and more on a a coalition course in economic issues Mm -hmm. and also in geopolitical issues as well over Mm -hmm. North Korea, over South China Sea. But uh, the key is the economic because uh, many U.S. corporations start to feel that they are being squeezed in the Chinese market. 
China is not opening up its financial and other sectors of its domestic economy as it promised. So mm-hmm. this kind of uh, political economy structure change, and mm-hmm. then the U.S. Uh, seem to be more and more um, willing to confront China, and mm. it didn't start with Trump. It started with Obama. Mm-hmm. That uh, the whole TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, free trade deal uh, that is um, uh, accelerated by Obama administration. But perhaps you could yeah. make the argument that TPP was just containment, you know? It's a containment. It is the carrot, actually, that uh, right. they try to establish free trade agreement with um, uh, with everybody in Asia except China to put mm-hmm. pressure on China to po- open up this market um, more. Mm-hmm. Uh, U.S. investment, mm-hmm. but now the Trump is using the stick approach. Yeah, they're using trade war and tariff. But either way, that it is a kind of a way to put pressure on China. Mm-hmm. So, the, so China and U.S. is becoming more and more competitive economically, mm-hmm. and uh, even on 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 high tech and all these kind of uh, areas. So, so the whole general atmosphere of U.S.-China relation change, and then actually that this then then the U.S. Uh, stands on Hong Kong also change, and rather than cooperate with uh, whatever Beijing position has on Hong Kong that US is more and more likely to uh, to stand on the opposite side mm-hmm. uh, to speak against uh, Beijing interest in in Hong Kong so it is a kind of a political opportunity that mm-hmm. uh, the protest in Hong Kong sits on uh, mm-hmm. to magnify the international support and appeal uh, in the protest mm-hmm. so uh, so it is the objective uh, the contextual Situation that changed that mm-hmm. favor the protester in Hong Kong right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I, I think, you know, to push back a little, it, it mm-hmm. does. I don't know if there's so clear a linear trend here mm-hmm. in part of U.S. foreign yeah. policy in yes. regards to China yes. because yeah. it's, as I said, decentralized and privatized. Yeah. So yes, it, yes, it's. Yes, I don't know yeah. if there's that much of a predictable or reliable yeah. um, yeah. a- actor there that yes. that. Protesters, Hong Kong protesters, yeah. but social mo- global yeah. social movements yeah. can yeah. can look to and lean on. Yeah, definitely. That uh, for all social movement in the underdog, that you have to get um, uh, whatever support that is available at the moment, mm-hmm. even though uh, the support may be sincerely come out from a concern about human rights and democracy. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, uh, it is um, you might say is hypocritical, but even so. Uh, you need to uh, rely on this uh, support. I think the protesters in Hong Kong, as I observe, they are a lot naive, uh, mm-hmm. and they are a lot naive uh, to think that uh, the U.S. support of Hong Kong protesters is purely out of the concern of human rights and democracy. Of course, some of them might, uh, but it won't be a large part of it. So mm-hmm. they are very well aware that when, for example, U.S. and China reach a trade deal, and then U.S. and China. Uh, the elite um, mm-hmm. interest might coalesce again, and then so they will just like throw Hong Kong under the bus as a kind of bargaining chip. So they are well aware of it, but uh, right. any movement uh, lead to uh, gather whatever the support they 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 could um, gather uh, at the moment, and mm-hmm. if the situation changed, they need to change tactics and change the op- the, the the kind of audience uh, to appeal to, just like in in the American Revolution, the mm-hmm. founding fathers, 
six apart from the French king, mm-hmm. the Louis XVI, right, right. uh, to 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 fight with the British, even though they know that Louis XVI is supporting <laughs> them not because of democracy, right, because right. Louis XVI <laughs> is the guy who later be yeah. beheaded by the French people himself. Yeah. So he's a tyrant himself. So yeah. so it is the situation that you you need to seek allies. Sometimes the allies may not be a good person, mm-hmm. uh, may not be sincerely. Supporting your cause, but uh, you get whatever support you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we've been talking a lot about Hong Kong protests, also mm-hmm. Hong Kong protests in the shadows mm-hmm. of a, a larger yes. superpowers, U.S. and China. Yes. Yep. Um, so we can stretch back the sort of genealogy mm-hmm. of Hong Kong protests mm-hmm. back to 1960s, which you've yes. mentioned. Yep. There's the the large scale of yep. labor unrest that really yes. shook up the local yeah. government mm-hmm. for the first time. But also Hong Kong protests, and mm-hmm. we've mentioned this yeah. multiple times already, but mm-hmm. they're part of a global phenomenon. Yes. And yeah. there have been regular waves of protests yes. that have been happening since the Arab Spring. Yeah. And how can we understand the yeah. dynamic of the local and international yeah. here? Yes. Just yes. to go yes. you know, more explicitly, are they challenging world yeah. systems and hegemony? Yeah. Are they causing yeah. hegemonic crisis? Yeah. Um, or is there is there an impasse between yeah. state suppression and social yeah. movements where they've just been happening so regularly, but yeah. they're and then it's not like the yeah. state completely yes. absorbs them. Definitely, yeah. there's a lot of commonality uh, mm-hmm. regarding Hong Kong protests and the youthful protests around the world since the Arab Spring to the rise of democratic socialists in the U.S. and and all the anti-austerity protests in Europe. Uh, one common theme is this: uh, the younger, unpropertyed generation is revolting against the property of the baby boomers. That mm-hmm. uh, they think that it is the, the status quo um, of the world around the world is built by this uh, generation of baby boomers right. who who became elite, who have become the property class, and and so they want to maintain the status quo. And, uh, but now there's a younger generation who feel disenfranchised. Um, mm-hmm. And also, the, they don't uh, enjoy the benefits of economic prosperity and growth and financialization. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a general global uh, revolt against uh, this uh, the older property generation. Mm-hmm. And in different places, it uh, was reflected in different way. In the Arab Spring, it reflected uh, in the form of these young people revolting against the old authoritarian state. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the U.S. and in Europe, it uh, represents as a kind of young, young revolt against the establishment party left or right. Mm-hmm. And in terms of uh, the protest in Hong Kong, is the young people who revolt against the baby boomer actually who, in the 1970s and 1980s, um, benefit a lot economically. Uh, and yeah. at the same time, they are the generation who accept the deal of sovereignty handover to China and the run country to system. So these young people think that this is a bad deal, mm-hmm. that the older generation uh, struck with Beijing, and then they also benefit economically with uh, because they already have the property class before the influx of capital of mm-hmm. China came in. So when the influx of Chinese capital uh, started, uh, so the property they have actually uh, appreciate in values uh, very much. So they are the vested interest in all that. 
uh, while the people who are not yet property, then they're young, they are uh, earning a very uh, low salary because the salary right. is not growing at all in the right. last 20 years. Right. So they think that they are the victims of all this uh, system or right. status quo set by the older generation. And We're really hit elite. by the neoliberal crisis. It's right. hit by this uh, inequality, neoliberal crisis, privatization yeah. uh, of, of the social safety net and all that. So so it is uh, the, the Hong Kong protest in one way as a revolt against this, uh, as a part of this global revolt against the, the older uh, status quo power. Mm-hmm. And it's manifested in its uh, particular quest for democracy and, mm-hmm. uh, and self-determination of Hong Kong. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to end on a question on the mm-hmm. local elections, which yes. we, yeah. which you mentioned in the yeah. first um, part, first yes. few minutes of this podcast. Yes. Um, yeah, so you sort of mentioned the pro-establishment history mm-hmm. of local, you yeah. know, um, district councils, yes. and but we've seen this turnaround, or yeah. or hopefully a turnaround. Yes. Are yes. you hopeful about the the results of the election? Do you think this is a new leaf? Um, some people call it a proxy election for Carrie Lam, or a referendum on Carrie Lam, referendum right, right. on the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. It offered the Hong Kong government and the Beijing government um, a chance to change course. Yeah. Uh, uh, for example, to uh, replace Carrie Lam with somebody else mm-hmm. and then reset, reset the conversation. Is and it then, possibly yeah. a sign of the cross generational? And you talked about yeah. the boomer and the yeah. the young, you know, young yes. localist yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is is that kind of are we moving across or moving away from that where there is sort of more of a unified in, front there was a 71% turnout rate yeah know. that 71% of turnout rate is uh, important because it cannot be only young people mm-hmm. uh, what this movement achieved is that they successfully uh, get the support of older people even mm-hmm. uh, to be on their side mm-hmm. so it is no longer a, a strictly generation divide mm-hmm. uh, but the older people some of them not all of them there's yeah. still a lot of uh, uh, pro-establishment older people but some of the older people uh, finally uh, moved by the young people and, and on their side mm-hmm. and uh, but these uh, election results show that this younger generation of of newbies, politicians in their twenties, in their thirties, yeah. uh, they are al- already already on the stage now. Yeah. So they 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 will become the new force, um, not only of the movement but mm-hmm. also in democratic politics, in electoral politics, in in all fields in the society. So mm-hmm. uh, so definitely, it is a kind of a sign or uh, one more manifestation of this generation change in Hong Kong yeah. as in elsewhere. And also just a yeah. lot of what Beijing has been saying that they've they're still supported by a silent majority. Yes, um, yes. It just it turns out flat the out. The silent untrue. majority is not with them. It's right. With <laughs> right. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it, it I, I think it will it is enough of a shock yeah. to Beijing because the district council election is always the election that the Beijing uh, is most confident about. Mm-hmm. Because it is an mm-hmm. election about mm-hmm. pipeline, bus stops, mm-hmm. and, and traffic mm-hmm. light, that kind of issue. So right. they're good, they have been great on that. But mm-hmm. even they, they lose it that bad, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a uh, strong signal to Beijing. So mm-hmm. it's really a chance for Beijing to shift costs in handling the situation in Hong Kong now. Okay, um, thank you so yeah. much for your thank time. You. That was all very insightful and informative. I enjoyed doing it. Thanks for having me here. 
the original recording of this episode last November with Dr. Hong since the landslide pro-democracy victory in Hong Kong's local elections and the now withdrawn extradition bill. The future of Hong Kong's status as a semi-autonomous region of mainland China has changed dramatically. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to ravage the globe, Beijing has made steps to undermine the one-country, two-systems policy in Hong Kong that was put into place in 1997, when the city became a special administrative region of China. On May 21st, prior to the start of China's annual National People's Congress, the Chinese Communist Party proposed new security laws in Hong Kong that would target anti-government protests and other acts of dissent in the city. On May 28th, the security legislation was unanimously approved in a plan that would allow Beijing to circumvent the Hong Kong municipal government to address any perceived subversion, secession, terrorism, or acts that threaten the purported national security of Hong Kong. The proposal was met with immediate outcry in Hong Kong as well as countries around the world. The US, UK, Australia, and Canada have issued a joint statement condemning China for overstepping its authority and violating the terms established in Hong Kong's return to the mainland in the Sino-British Joint Declaration of 1984. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson vowed to give millions of Hong Kong citizens a path to British citizenship, while the US threatened to punish Beijing by removing Hong Kong's special status as an autonomous region under US law. The law is expected to take effect in September, with early signs indicating a crackdown by mainland China on Hong Kong's pro-democracy movement and the individual freedoms of citizens. Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, has supported the new security legislation, although she has admitted that the people of Hong Kong may not be able to enjoy some of the personal freedoms that they once had after its implementation. Despite the ongoing global pandemic, Hong Kong citizens have already come out in droves to protest against the new sedition law, decrying the legislation as a violation of the one country, two systems, and an infringement on Hong Kong's basic law and citizens' freedoms. On June 4th, thousands of Hong Kongers defied a police ban to show up for the city's annual vigil honoring the victims of the Tiananmen Square massacre. 2020 has been turbulent for the city of Hong Kong. With the impending new security laws set to begin in three months' time, the prospects of Hong Kong maintaining its semi-autonomous position until 2047 are increasingly bleak. The Raishar Center will continue to closely monitor the Hong Kong situation as it unfolds, as well as the changing dynamics of the East Asia region as a whole. Please stay tuned to our website and Facebook page for future updates. Asia in Washington is a production of the Edwin O. Reichauer Center for East Asian Studies at Johns Hopkins Sites. Visit our website at reichauercenter.org.